he made me smile so much. He was such a stickler for this one God. No Trinitarian messing around. He, uh, he, so he laid it down flat and firm in those days, and we uh, certainly needed it. We needed it then, and we still need it. Praise God. And so uh, this, this grand couple that are still here with you, and we're so thrilled. My wife sends her love, and she wished she could have been here tonight. And, of course, I don't. I never get acquainted with any saints in church more than just more or less facial recognition. Uh, it's sort of an ethical thing they put in us many years ago. And uh, But I do remember a lot of your faces, and I remember some of your testimonies. And you're still faithful in the house of God. And it's, a, it's a pleasure to see you. May God bless you. Hallelujah. All right, I, I want to read one verse, and then I'm going to talk about lots of things tonight. But uh, if you would turn with me to Hebrews, it would be 10. To, I'm just going to read a single verse tonight. Hebrews 10 and 32. Hebrews 10 and 32. Uh, I will refer to other readings, but I found that when I'm reading, I lose your attention sometimes. And so once I get this, if I do, if we get it moving, I want to keep it moving, and uh, we'll just make brief references, but we have the references if you feel like you have to have them. They're here. And this verse thrills me. It thrilled me many years ago, and it thrilled me today when I was reading it again. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. After you were illuminated. Hallelujah. God bless you as you're seated tonight. <clears throat> Brother Townley, I, I've got too much on my platter tonight. The ninth and the tenth chapter of Hebrews is so, it is overflowing with beautiful, beautiful things. And every time I read it, I, I just wished I could, com could commit it all to memory. I, I, I think I did it one time, but it has slipped me <laughs> lately. Uh, but uh, there's so much there, and it refers to so much. It's not so much in the ninth and tenth chapter, but what they refer to is uh, it, it bulges. It is overwhelming uh, to think of all the beautiful things that we uh, are referenced to in these two chapters. But this verse particularly uh, inspires me. Remember the former days uh, after that you were illuminated. Now, you wasn't doing too good in resisting and fighting a battle, but after you were illuminated. This is after you were illuminated. The former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. It's going to take an illumination of a revelation to put the strength in you to endure a great fight of affliction. I fear that in across our fellowship around 
particular United States, there there uh, a lot of preachers. Uh, they're not uh, lifting the handles on the plow doctrinally. Now they have a lot of things going, and some of it's working pretty good. But I fear that uh, I preached here a few years ago. On then came the orators. Um, begin to satisfy uh, the curiosity and more or less the needs of people with with stories and little funny things. But the old gospel of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord is not popular in a lot of churches today. It's popular here. It always has been. And uh, this is the foundation that we're built upon is the oneness of the Godhead. If you don't have this, you're not illuminated. And if you're not illuminated, you don't know what's going on. And I fear that many of the preachers that are supposed to be teaching our churches today may not have ever been illuminated themselves on the real identity of Jesus Christ. He is God Almighty manifest in flesh. He is the Eternal One. Isaiah 28 chapter, I think it is, says that He inhabits eternity. He's always been there. It's hard to understand eternity until you begin to think about time. And time is very difficult because we're such, you know, we live to be, the Bible promised us 70 years, and some of us make it a little longer than that. Uh, but uh, we're life is short. But time is its unbelievable. I, I won't worry too awfully much with it, but... Uh, we judged space by the speed of light primarily. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. At, uh, in, in one second, the light will circle the earth seven, over seven times. That's fast. Light would reach the moon in one and a third second. And the moon is 238,000 miles away. I just remember some of these things. The sun is 93 million miles, and it takes light 8 minutes and 20 seconds to make the trip. Now, that's moving on. Our closest star is two and a half light years away. In other words, if there was an event on that closest star, we wouldn't even know it for two and a half years. That's our closest star. It takes 100,000 light years to get across our Milky Way. I think it's five million light years to Andromeda, which is the greatest galaxy close to us, twice our size. Five, I think it is, million <laughs> years. If an event happened there, we wouldn't know it for five million years. And then they claim that the furthest galaxies are, I think, 13.8 billion light years. If something happened out there, an event. We wouldn't even know it for 13.8 billion years. Now, it, eternity goes beyond that, but that's stretching it, brother. And God in, inhabits all of that. And that great God stepped down on this earth, became a man, born of a woman when the fullness of time was come. That was God's hands they drove nails in. 
That was God. So that was the Son of God. You know, just have to have a lot of teaching today because of the false doctrine of the Trinity. But after we were illuminated and we understood the, this great mystery of the oneness of the Godhead, then we began to understand the significance of Calvary. And after we, uh, we these lights, it's a type of illumination, of course, but we're talking about the mind, the heart, the understanding, and being illuminated with truth. Oh, hallelujah. This is what makes us strong enough to endure the battle. That's why we insist upon teaching the oneness of the Godhead and the absolute necessity of the new birth and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's because this is part of our spiritual illumination. And then the magnificence of Calvary, the splendor of Calvary, the beauty of Calvary. Uh, we just, I, I, I just don't think we spend quite enough time on admiring and adoring, appreciating the power of Calvary. He obliterated sin. Amen. Sin hath no more dominion over us because of Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. I'm, I'm saying something right because I'm feeling it. Thank God. <laughs> That's just kind of getting uh, going here. I want to tell you a story to get your minds. and uh, But first I will make a reference to... Uh, just a moment. First Corinthians ten and eleven. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and are written for our admonition. And the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. What I want to speak on next just just a few minutes is I want to talk about viewing the Old Testament through the prism of Calvary. I'm sure you've heard me talk on this road. But if uh, back in 18 at 60, there was a German, uh, while we were having trouble over here, he was figuring some stuff out. But he invented what they call a spectroscope. And that would be a telescope, not to view the stars as you might think, but to see them and the quality of their light, spectra. The spectrum means like a rainbow from ultraviolet to infrared. All the colors. Since the rainbow is produced from light from the sun, our rainbows all have the same colors because the light is coming from the sun. And... Uh, it it uh, it expresses all the colors, all the primary colors are in the rainbow. <clears throat> because every little droplet of water that's in the atmosphere becomes a prism. And at the angle we're looking at it, they all reflect the, the spectrum of the light of the sun. And hence we get the arch and the colors. This man invented the spectroscope uh, 
and took it far beyond just looking at a rainbow, but discovered that every element that burns uh, puts forth a different spectrum. For instance, if you're burning coal, if you look at the flame through the spectroscope, you get a certain pattern. That's the coal pattern. If you're burning coke, if you're burning wood, if you're burning oak or ash or any of these things, they will all give a separate and distinct uh, spectrum. And by comparing, and I hope I'm not getting too heavy here. I hope not. It's almost too heavy for me. But uh, by looking at the spectrum, they can tell you what's burning. And by looking at the stars through the spectroscope, can tell you what primary gases are there because each of the elements that are burned and go through the prism. Let me tell you how the prism works. I'll get off of this stuff pretty quick. A prism is basically a triangle-shaped glass. It could be a foot long or whatever, but its primary shape is a triangle. And when light shines and hits the surface <clears throat> of this slanted surface of a crystal, it goes through, but the inside surface bends the light, and then it goes up and hits the other side, and it's bent again. So it goes through the process of bending. The light is bent. And if you were to look at a mirror and we reflected it, your vision would be bent. Well, that's what this... Uh, prism does. But when it bends the light, now this is kind of fun, so some of you will enjoy it and some of you say, what's he doing? All right. Uh, if you were to take, say, a piece of wire from a coat hanger and clip it like that, and maybe it's 10 inches long, you can bend that wire pretty easy. But if you cut it in half, it's a little harder to bend then. Then if you cut it in half again, it becomes a little more difficult to bend. And when you get that piece of wire down to where it's about a half inch long, you can't hardly bend it. Don't put it in your teeth. you bust your teeth. And so if I could take those little different lengths of wire and, and tell you that that's what light is, it's different lengths of uh, action. And by it's... Uh, they can't define light, so I, I'm not going to try to. But as these particles of light go through the bending process, the short ones don't bend, and so they go straight through. The long ones bend easily, and so they are deflected. And so that's how you get your colors, is all of the reds are separated, and all of the blues are separated. And so that when they get done, they look at this this spectrum and through the prism and it tells the quality of the light. Maybe I'll do that one more time. By examining the spectrum that has gone through the prism, men can identify the quality of the source of that light. <laughs> they know what it is. I was uh, traveling. I was going down to see Brother Garrett many, many years ago. I was in my 40s. And uh, I got on an airplane, and I sat down. I went to the seat they assigned me, 
and there was a hat in it. And there was an old fellow there that uh, had on real thick glasses. And uh, he was reading some scientific paper. And his hat was in my seat. And I, uh, I stood there a while. He didn't pay any attention. I said, sir. And I picked his hat up. It was well worn. It was wore out. And I said, sir, this might be your hat. Looks like you've been friends a long time. I don't want to sit on it. This is my seat. He just looked at me sour and took his hat. And I sat down. And I noticed he was reading this scientific paper. And the looks of him, the thick glasses, the studious look. He's not, uh, you know, those people, they don't know about uh, uh, social things. They're too deep into their, act, uh, their studies of physics and whatever. And I said, uh, I see you're reading a scientific paper. Yeah. And I said, are you a scientist? And he said, yes. And I said, what, uh, what field do you work in? He said, I work at, uh, I think he said, the White Sands of Alamogordo. And I said, what is your field? And he said, I analyze materials, metals, and all types of elements. And I said, how do you analyze them? He was getting aggravated at me by now. <laughs> and he said, we examine them through a spectroscope. And I said, would you explain what a spectroscope is? <laughs> and he gave it to me real quick and short. I already knew a little about it anyhow. And I said, how do you analyze a piece of metal through a spectroscope? He looked disgusted and he said, we take a scraping. We take a sharp tool and scrape a little of the metal, just a fine little hair width and we dissolve it in acid. I'm going somewhere, so stay with it. We dissolve that in acid. And then we take the acid and put it in an atomizer. And we squirt, we spray the atomizer across the flame. And then we study the spectrum. And it'll let us know if it's nickel, aluminum, gold, or silver, or whatever that metal was. We know what it is the minute we view the light through the spectrum. They can analyze the sun. They can analyze the stars. They can analyze so many, many things by just looking at the light. And uh, they use it in industry, trying to identify different alloys of metals and what have you. It's a very, very important tool. And so I wanted to use that terminology tonight to help you understand the value of the material, of the shadowy material that was given to us in the Old Testament that they never understood. Because you cannot understand the law. You can't understand all of the analogies of the law. If you don't view them through the spectrum, the spectroscope of Calvary, you've got to look at it through Calvary or you won't see the beauty of it. Amen. Let's take, for instance, 
Uh, this is, I, I'm getting where I can't preach much anymore, so I'm just going to do the best I can. Uh, I can't remember like I used to. They had in the, under the law, there was a sort of a ritual that a heifer was selected. It had to be a red heifer. And uh, she must never have pulled a plow. There could be uh, no sickness or sores. She had to be perfect and red. And this heifer was to be offered for the people, for the sins of the people. And after the heifer was slain, they took the entire cow, put it up on the fire, and burned it all day long until it was reduced to ashes. And the ashes fell through the grate. And then after they cooled, a clean man came and scooped those ashes up and put them in a clean container. Then, later on, when somebody sinned, now it couldn't be, it had to be a sin uh, that was unintended. Uh, we'll analyze those in just a moment. But when he came to the priest and said, I've sinned, and the priest says, what did you do? And he says, I didn't mean to do it, but I was walking today and I stepped on a grave. Well, then you have to be washed because you come in contact with death. I stepped on a grave. Now, I'm sure he didn't get up that morning thinking, I'm going to go step on a grave. <laughs> no, he accidentally stepped on a grave. Or if he was in a house where somebody died, and the priest said, what did you do? He said, I was in the house taking care of my sick friend, and he died. I was in the house with him. He said, well, then you, you were in contact with death, so you have to be washed. And so in uh, to this vessel, the priest would go and get a little spoon, and he would put a basin of water, and he would put the ashes in the water along with some hassock. And then he would sprinkle the guilty man with the ashes, and it washed him. Now, the Bible said, if the ashes of a heifer sprinkling clean the unclean, how much more? I guess I could read that to you. It's right there, I think, in the ninth chapter of Hebrews. How much more? Find it. How, it's in the ninth chapter. Now, now, see, it asked a question, if that did it. Yeah. And it did. Yeah. That was God's plan. Right. It worked. Now, if it worked, all right. How much more? With the blood of Christ. Who through the eternal Spirit of God. Yeah. Offered himself. He offered himself. Spot He's not a red heifer. No, no, he offered himself without spot to God. Let me tell you, if the ashes of a heifer worked, and we look at it through the prism of Calvary, we realize real quick all it was was a shadow uh, that suggested a, a day of you could be washed. Oh, yeah. 
There's a washing coming. But we look at it through the prism of Calvary and we see that it was nothing but a shadow. But when Jesus came, He was the substance. And that's why it said, how much more? Now, I would just like to ask you, how much more do you, valuable do you think it is? Is the blood of Calvary more valuable than the ashes of a heifer? Well, then how much? Now we get down to a question. Oh, well, you know, on a scale of one to ten, uh, it's, uh, you can't put a limit on how much more valuable it is. Don't even try to put a limit on, on the power of Calvary. There is no sin greater than Calvary. <laughs> we don't, some of us don't like to hear that. Oh, there's some sins out there that I don't even want to hear about, much less touch. I just heard that Washington State is the seventh state in America that allows men to marry men and women to marry women. They just passed it. And that is one of the most sickening things I ever heard of. It, it just turns your stomach. Oh, God. And uh, what's that? Uh, oh, I don't want to get political tonight. Uh, well, he's one of the senators that's fixed to go out of business, and he's, he announced his wedding to his longtime friend. And I, I saw a picture of two servicemen. They were uh, officers in the Navy, and, and they were kissing. Now, I'm telling you, it gets bad. But child molesting is worse than that. Oh, there's some awful sins out there. But if one of those sins is greater than Calvary, we're, we're not thinking right. See, I put you to the test. How much more? Now, this is not like stepping on a grave. This is not like finding a human bone out in the field. This is, these are horrible sins. But Jesus came and He actually defeated sin. How much more? Calvary is splendid. Calvary is beautiful. It is powerful. It's something that, that you can put your trust in. And if you don't trust it and you want to go back, the Bible said there remaineth no more sacrifice back there. It never did say that Calvary didn't remain, but it said there remaineth no more sacrifice. If you sin willfully, don't go back and try to offer up a red heifer. It ain't going to work. Calvary is the only thing that's working today, but it is working. Oh, hallelujah. We'd never understand the ashes of a heifer without the spectrum of looking at it through the blood of Jesus Christ. How much more? I, I thought of, there's so many that I, I won't possibly even try to get to all of them tonight. But uh, I think it's uh, Exodus 13, chapter around the 13th verse. It starts talking about a couple of goats, I believe it is. If I'm, no, no, it's, uh, it's the burrow in that chapter. And uh, there are certain rules and laws that uh, I don't know if I'll read it or not probably should just take a second I think it's Exodus 13 I'm so slow hold on 
if I can't find it, I'll just tell you it's there. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. That was a rule. There was a, a meaning that uh, these things the Bible said I read to you, all of these things happened to them for our admonition. A burl was considered a sacrificial animal. They were unclean. They didn't split the hoof and they didn't choose a cud. But a lamb and a goat and a bull and things like that. But uh, every animal that brought forth their first offspring, if it was a male, it had to be redeemed or die. <clears throat> and if a, if a little burl give birth to a little colt, and it was a little boy colt, I, I like to think of it because it went on into it that you can tell your son and explain to him that one day we were in bondage. It's something you tell your son. So here's the way I see it. The little boy comes up from the barn way back in Israel. And he said, oh, daddy, 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 something real exciting happened. Do you know that old Jenny, that little colt that was born, it's a little boy colt. Can I keep him? Can I have him? And his son says, or his dad said, it was a, a little male colt. Yes. Can I have him? I said, well, let me tell you something else that happened last night, son. Come over here. And here's a, a couple of lambs that were born. And uh, these lambs were not under the curse of death. And the father says, this lamb that don't need to die, I can kill this lamb and redeem your burl. But if I don't kill this lamb and redeem your burl, then that burl has to have his neck broken. And so when we look at that through the prism of Calvary, we see that we were all born in sin. We all have the curse of death. I know the sweetest little children out there, you're born with the curse of death. And in order for you to live, see, your neck needs to be broke, according to the eternal rule. But in order for you to live, there's a lamb that doesn't have the curse of death. And that lamb can die in the burrow's place. Can you see how that looking at that simple little thing of breaking the burrow's neck could never have been understood by the Jewish mind? Why do you want to break his neck? Why does the lamb have to die? Because i got a greater lesson for you. The Bible said these things were imposed upon them for us. And so when we look at, at the beauty of how God sought to educate us so that we could appreciate what happened at Calvary, we look at it through the prism of Calvary and we see that we're going to die 
unless the Lamb of God dies in our place. And He did. He came and He died. He fulfilled that. Oh, hallelujah. We would, they of the Old Testament could never understand that. And then even the Apostle Paul had trouble with the early church because they quit having faith in, in the name of Jesus. And they were going back to the old Jewish religion of offering up uh, sacrifices. And Paul had to fight that all the way through. And you know what it was like? It's like wiping your feet on Calvary to reject Calvary and go back to the shadow it was an insult to Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'll just add a little bit to that. Even today, if you reject the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and you feel like you've got to do something to earn your forgiveness, you're wiping your feet. Had a, I told this the other night. A man came to our church and said, I'm going to work so hard that Jesus cannot deny me heaven. I'm going to work my way in. He didn't know the first thing about God. You can't. You have, you have to ignore Calvary in order to adopt that philosophy. Uh, none of us deserve it. And the way we understand these things is by looking at all of the Old Testament types and shadows through the prism of Calvary. We can see the value that was in it but it was not uh, it was not executed until Jesus Christ came. I uh, I thought of one of the greatest ones, and it was the Jews still talk about it. It's called the Passover, and they have still passed over it. They still don't know. They still don't know. But on the day that. Moses and the Israelites were going to leave Egypt. They were to pin this little lamb up and take its life and save the blood, put it in a container. And then the dead, he takes that bowl of blood and he throws it on the lintel. That's the beam across. And the two side posts of the door gets them all bloody. That's what... Moses and Aaron told them to do, and they did it. The little boy said, Daddy, what are you doing? He said, Well, Moses and Aaron told me that death's coming through the land today. And the oldest son in this family is going to die tonight. Every oldest son in every family is going to die tonight unless we put the blood which is a sign that there's already been a death. That's what it was a sign of. Death don't come in this door. There's already been a death. It was the lamb dying in the place of the burrow. The little boy was the burrow. And I could just see a little boy saying, Dad, you got any more of that blood left? Let's make sure we get plenty on there. Because if the death angel, if the angel of death that's coming through the land today is looking for blood, I want him to be plenty of it on there. And sometime during the night, uh, that little boy may be looking out the window. He's hoping that that angel sees that blood. <laughs> Pulls the curtain aside. There's a dark shadow goes by his door. 
pause just a minute and on it went. That's when death looked and he saw there's already been a death there. I'm going on. All over Goshen, there was not one grave. Everybody put blood on their door. But death went on down to Egypt, and you began to hear their cries. As children were discovered, not only children, but animals out in the field, dead things all over the place. People began to wail and and say, okay, what is all that? Well, to view that through, if you look at that through the prism of Calvary, it looks so much different. Don't try to face death without the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you see, we've been illuminated. We see it. We've looked at it through Calvary. And we see it's not, if you don't get the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to hell. We're going to fuss with you about this till Jesus comes. It, we're not caring about fussing. What we're going to look at is the positives of it. That if you repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name, His blood is applied to our soul. And we've been illuminated. And we see that. We're different. It's not different because we're good. We're different because we've been born again. We're, it's, we're different. God's going to deal with us differently. He's going to deal with us as sons. I went through the land a number of years ago preaching a message that I was on fire with. And I, I called it, You Need a New Father. And I may have preached it here. But, uh, and I come up with this statement that all of Adam's children, will be lost. No, that's the Bible. All of Adam. We're all born in a sin. We were all born into it. Sins that we hadn't even committed because of Adam. His blood is in our veins. And we're looking at it now through what did Jesus do? <laughs> well, he provided a tomb that we could bury the old Adam. And out of that watery grave comes a new creature with a new father. And Adam's blood is not our source of life anymore. But we have the spirit and the power of Almighty God. And we have the life of our new father. Our new father. We have a new father. I mean, after we're illuminated, we can suffer and, and we can endure now. But this has to be preached, Brother Townley. And I know you're doing it. That's why I'm taking my liberty to do it again here tonight. I'm just backing you up. But this has to be preached so that people will have strength to stand against sin and to stand against all of the things that are overwhelming the church today, illuminated with the oneness of the Godhead and the magnificence of Calvary and the beauty of His blood flowing through our veins. The fact that we're covered in His blood. We, death has been defeated. Jesus defeated death. Now, uh, the Bible plainly tells us that, that Jesus was made sin for our sake. 
Now, this is awful hard for people to believe it. I don't know. Some of you might even fuss with me about it. But the Bible said that he became sin. But I'll say it this way. For one brief moment, all the sins of the world was loaded on Jesus for one brief moment. And he actually became sin. You know what he did? He died. And sin died with him. Let me give you a little example. When I was a young man, I worked in the trees. We did all kinds of things to big, dangerous trees. We took them out. We trimmed them. And we hanging over big high lines with all that power going over. Dangerous stuff. But when we'd get back to town after one of those big projects, some woman would say, I would like for you to come and look at my tree. It, I think it has mistletoe. And we'd go out there and say, well, ma'am, we can go up and and we can cut that mistletoe out and we can paint it with tar and all of that, but that mistletoe will come back. I don't care what we do to it, the mistletoe will come back. There's no way of killing mistletoe in a tree that I know of. I didn't know it then. The only way is to cut the limb off. And if it was highly infested, the only way to get mistletoe out of that tree is to kill that tree. Then you kill the mistletoe because it's a parasite. There's only one way that we can look at this enemy called sin, that when sin jumped on Jesus, he was a parasite. Jesus died. So sin died too. He killed sin. And he got up on the third day. We're looking at this through the prism of Calvary. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. I'm telling you, He accomplished what He came to do. He came to set us free. And we have been illuminated. We know He's our captain. We know that we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear sin. Because we have been born of water and the Spirit. We have a new Father. And now after this illumination, after we see who we are, what we've got, we can endure a great fight of affliction. But without this, I'd hate to face, I'd hate to face the problems without this knowledge. I'd hate to face the problems of this world, Brother Alexander, without the knowledge of my captain. The knowledge of the victor. Whoo, he brought the victory. I can't go through all of it tonight, but I hope you get the point. I hope you're getting the point. We view it through Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, you can only stand so much in one night. That's all I've got tonight. Oh, I've got a lot more, but I, I'm kind of tired, and I know you are too. But you say, how will we remember what you said tonight? You won't have no trouble. I, got, I brought some things to you you won't forget. The spectrum. The prism. And how it reveals the quality. And so when we look at the quality of the types and shadows of the Old Testament, have no idea how beautiful they are until we look at them through Calvary. And then we can see, thank God the burrow don't have to have his neck broke. The lamb's going to die in his place. 
Thank God the death angel is not coming in because Jesus came and put His blood all over us. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for the ashes of a heifer that was just a type and a shadow, but it meant the washing. I think the Scripture said that sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He came with a pure body, with pure blood, willingly died in our place. Killed sin, made it possible. Now this sin that's dead, it's dead only in Him. In case you want to pick a fight with me. Only in Him is it dead. Outside of Him, it's very much alive. It is horrible. But in Jesus Christ, it's dead in Him. And I know you believe that. God has given you a, a very wonderful leader that the Lord has started opening his eyes and showing him grand and glorious things back before he even had to use shaving cream. I guess he just dry shave in those days. I got a little 12-year-old grandson. He's getting some black hair on his lip. I said, don't worry about it. We just get the cat in here. We'll put a little cream on there and let the cat lick it off. And he don't like to be teased like that, but you were just a boy when I first met him. He sat on the front bench listening, and God has honored you. And he, I, I, I don't want to get too elaborate here, but that little girl, I don't know how in the world he talked her into marrying him, but she's a special little creature. And uh, she's got her heart in this work, I mean, all the way. And so you've done a wonderful job selecting this young man. God must have helped you. God must have opened your understanding in that respect because he's carrying on with the message. This church is going forward. I'm, I'm amazed at how much bigger this building is. I, he brought me in here and showing it to me, and I said, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's that platform? Ooh, we moved it back. And uh, Man, this church is so long, I can't hardly see people on the back bench anymore. I, I, I love this people. I love your pastor and his wife and brother and sister Alexander, faithful for so very many long, long years. Wouldn't bend, wouldn't bow, wouldn't burn. I think he's gruff, but he had a heart of gold because he preached the only saving message that there is in the land today. Oh, hallelujah. I thank you for allowing me to come and talk to you about something. I hope you remember it for life. I hope you never forget it. The splendor and the glory and the power after we have been illuminated. Oh, the strength that we have with these revelations and with illumination. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. 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 Amen. Have you been blessed by the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. It's amazing to me how God continues to add to our knowledge and understanding. And he has certainly illuminated my heart even in this service tonight and increased my knowledge. I had never heard your illustration about the portion where sin died with him. There on the cross. 
Well, I've been in the dark, but you put me in the light tonight. Amen. I believe it. Amen. Thank God for knowledge and understanding. I'm glad I understand Jesus conquered sin. Amen. And if I'll die with him in repentance. Hallelujah. Amen. He'll forgive and wash my sins away and I can overcome sin. Amen. I believe that this victorious message of Jesus Christ, of the effectiveness of the gospel, his ability to wash, cleanse, deliver, and release us from the bondage of sin must be preached and experienced. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you heard the gospel? Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Power in the blood of Jesus. Oh, there's power in the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There is cleansing in the blood of Jesus. Cleansing in the blood of Jesus. Oh, there's cleansing in the blood of Jesus. It washes white. Now sing, I'm thankful. Oh, I am thankful for. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise your wonderful name.